Welcome to the August 27th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Today's reading is Psalm 121 and 122 and 1 Corinthians chapter 9, but we're only going to focus on the New Testament in this podcast. Hopefully you're ready. Let's get started. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, I know that this chapter has 27 verses, um, which is a bit of a stretch for us to do a verse by verse, but uh, but I'd, I'd like to do that. I'd like to take us through verse by verse. So if you have your Bible, you can open your Bible up, you can hit pause, and I just want to take us through this um, because this is a principle that builds on what we looked at yesterday. Uh, yesterday, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul was talking about how that those who uh, wanted to enjoy meat that was sacrificed to a god because they had knowledge and they knew that god was nothing, and so why not eat the meat, especially since it's at probably a discounted price, he said, you know what, if, if, you, if, if in doing that you are bringing spiritual harm to a weaker believer, then you need to give up that right. Even though it's not wrong for you to do it, if it hurts somebody else, you need to give it up. And so what Paul's going to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is play off of that and say, okay, I'm not asking you to do, or I'm not telling you to do anything that I myself am not doing. And so what Paul's going to talk about is how he has given up at least one right. And the right that he's going to be referencing in 1 Corinthians 9 is the right to be financially uh, remunerated, to be financially taken care of by the church at Corinth as he was engaging in ministry. He said he gave up that right, and he's going to talk about uh, why he did it. So let's just go through verse by verse uh, through 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 1. Am I not free? Now, now once again, well, not once again, say it for the first time. In verse 1, he's going to ask uh, four rhetorical questions. And a rhetorical question is a question that you ask where it's assumed everybody knows the answer. And so all of these are going to be answered yes. It's just assumed Paul knows that everybody knows the answer is yes. Verse 1, am I not free? You know, am I not free to do whatever I want to do? Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? And so what he's doing is he's just saying, you know, let's just step back and, and realize that I am free. I am free to do whatever is permissible for me. Uh, if the scripture doesn't forbid it, if the spirit does not convict me, if my conscience doesn't bother me, then I am free to do whatever it is that I desire to do. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? So he's saying, I have authority as an official apostle. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? He said, hey, none of y'all have seen Jesus. I've actually seen Jesus. And so what he's doing is he's saying, I've got some incredible credentials. You need to be listening up. Verse 2, if I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you because you are a seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Okay, so what he's saying in verse 2 is, okay, I said that I was an apostle. You know I'm an apostle. That's an official position um, uh, uh, that was in the first century. 
of those that were selected by Christ to be uh, the ones who would be sent out from him uh, to speak on his behalf. And, and in fact, the New Testament writings, every single one of the books was either written by an apostle or by someone who was in close relationship with an apostle. Not a single book in the New Testament was written by anybody outside of either they were an apostle or they were a close uh, friend, a very close friend. They hung out with and spent time with an apostle. And so the, the position of apostle was an elevated position. He said, you know what, if, I'm not, if that's not respected or regarded by anybody else, you know, I am an apostle to you because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You're the ones that I have led to faith in Christ. You're the ones who know that I was sent out by the Lord. And you've seen the fruits. Many of you have trusted in Christ as a result of my ministry. Verse 3, my defense to those who examine me is this. So now he's going to build his case. Verse 4, don't we have the right to eat and drink? Okay, so what's he talking about? Eating and drinking is the most basic of human needs. It is a right. You would think it's a right. You know, I mean, if we say that a right is something that in, is is innate, um, that it is something that every single person should be able to do, that it is just theirs to claim, well, we would think everybody on the face of this earth has a right to eat and drink. You know, nobody has the, the moral authority to take away from you your right to eat and drink. If they do, it's morally wrong because we understand people have the right to eat and drink. So he said, don't I have the right to eat and drink? Don't I have a right to have enough money in order to go out and get something to eat to the market and go get something to drink? Don't I have the right to that? Everybody would assume, yes, of course, you've got a right to that. Verse 5. Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers, and Cephas? Now, some have speculated that even as Paul in 1 Corinthians refers to Cephas or Peter, the apostle Peter, that some have speculated that the apostle Peter may have had a ministry in Corinth. Maybe he was uh, you know, their pastor for a, a season, a period of time. We don't know, but he does refer to Peter, I think, three or four times in this book. He said, don't we have a right to have a wife like Peter does? And remember, Peter had a wife because Jesus healed his mother-in-law in the Gospel of Mark. And so he said, you know, that's, that's a basic desire, maybe even a need for some people that don't have the gift of celibacy and singleness. And so that could be considered maybe a right. And he said, don't we have a right to do that? And yet Paul's been denying himself that. He's not married. We, we know that from reading in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6. Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Okay, now he's getting to the crux of the matter. He said, don't Barnabas and I. So Barnabas is with him on this ministry. He said, don't we have a right to keep from working? Now, what's he saying? He's saying, guys, in Corinth, I have ministered among you. I have led many of you to the Lord. I have done much stuff in Corinth. Don't I have a right to be paid for the ministry that I'm doing? And he's going to talk about here in just a second how it's a biblical 
uh, it's a biblical principle for those who are ministering to the congregation, to the church, for the church to pay them financially so that they can do that ministry. And so he said, don't we have a right to refrain from secular work? He said, don't I have a right to be paid by you when I do work in your church as I do ministry in your church? Verse 7, who serves as a soul? So now what he's going to do is he's going to give three illustrations uh, from just culture. Listen to this. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? The answer, nobody. I mean, soldiers don't serve at their own expense. They serve the country, they serve the king, and they are compensated financially for it. They they don't serve at their own expense. The second, verse five, uh, verse seven. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? No. If if you plant a vineyard, even if you're going to sell much of the grapes or turn it into in that you know era wine to sell that, well, the one who sows it, the one who plants it, certainly can enjoy whatever he wants to from there. Of course, he can. The third thing that he gives in verse seven. Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? What Paul is saying is, is nature itself and culture itself shows that there are rights to be had, and there is this principle that as you are working, as you are serving, that you have every right to expect that you will be compensated for that. That's what he's talking about. So now what he does, when he goes to verse 8, verses 8 through 12, he's going to say, now let's just look at the Bible and see what God has to say about the right to be paid. Verse 8. Am I saying this from a human perspective? He said, I've been talking about culture, but he said, doesn't the law, God's law, also say the same thing? He said, now let's look at Scripture. Let's look at God's law. Verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, and he quotes Deuteronomy 25.4, and he kind of enjoys this verse because he, he quotes this in his, past, in, in, in his letters uh, at least a few times. Deuteronomy 25.4, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. So what's that verse about? He's saying, okay, if an ox is being used to tread out grain, if it's got, um, you know, if it's... Uh, got the plow behind it and the person is is working that plow behind it, doesn't that oxen have the right to stop every now and then and just eat some of the grass, eat some of the grain that's growing up um, as it's working? Doesn't it have a right to stop and just grab a bite? Well, of course it does. It's working, so it has the ability or even the right, maybe you could call it a right, to stop and eat. And so Paul quotes that verse in verse 9. He says, For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. And then he asks, Is God really concerned about oxen? Now, from there, we do not draw the fact, when Paul asks that question, that God does not care about oxen. That's not what Paul is asking. That's that's not it. Uh, you, you look at the very last verse, verse of the book of Jonah, and you realize that as God had spared Nineveh because they had repented, it's not just the people, it was primarily the people that God wanted to repent, and then he was going to bless them with grace and forgiveness. 
But when you get to the very last verse in the book of Jonah, it talks about how much cattle were there. So God cares even about the cattle. And so what does Paul mean when he said, is God really concerned about oxen? I believe what he's saying is, is that principle, even though it talks about oxen, is really serving as an illustration, serving as a principle that people, when they work, have every right to expect that they will be able to benefit from that work. So listen to verse 10. Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake because he who plows ought to plow in hope, right? So you plow and what's the hope? I'm going to benefit from this. And he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. So he said those that are threshing, those that are gathering that uh, the wheat in or whatever it is, they ought to do that in hope, knowing that with the work that they are providing, they will benefit. They have a right to expect that. Verse 11, if we have, and now this is where he's going to say, okay, now we've talked about these principles. Now I'm going to drive it home. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? So what Paul said is what we have been doing is we have been reaping or we have been sowing spiritual riches among you. We've been teaching you. We've been preaching. We've been directing and helping and coming alongside and encouraging, rebuking where necessary. We have been sowing spiritual riches among you so that you can benefit spiritually, so that ultimately you can live the God-glorifying life that God desires of you now and also hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, when you get to heaven. He said, if we are sowing spiritual riches among you and helping you get ready for here in heaven, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? He said nature itself and even God's word talks about how that when you work, you have every right to expect that there's going to be something coming back to bless you as a result of that. It's an exchange. And so he is saying, church at Corinth, is, is it not right for me to expect that you would financially benefit me? to take care of me so I don't have to make tents, you know, to, to take care of myself. Isn't it right that as I'm sowing spiritual riches among you, that you would take care of me by giving me financial riches with quotes around it? Verse 12, if others have this right to receive benefits from you, if, if other people are, are being paid to serve you. Now, one of the things we have to be clear about, let me, let me chase a rabbit just for a moment. The love of money is the root of all evil. The, the Bible says that. And uh, one of the things that we have to be so careful about, in, especially in ministry, but really it's not just in ministry, uh, it, it's, it should be a Christian attitude toward work, that they don't work and, and money is not their primary goal. Now, do we have a right to expect that when we work, we will be compensated? Yes. Yes. Now, we also have the ability to say, like the Apostle Paul in this chapter, you know, I have a right to it, but I'm going to forego that. I'm going to do this just because I love you, just because I care. You know, we can do that as well. But there ought to be the expectation on the other end that, hey, they are blessing me, so therefore I will help them. And so what the, the Apostle Paul was, uh, was doing is saying that, 
he wasn't doing it for the money, but he had every right to expect that they would take care of him as he was doing ministry among them. They were benefiting from him, therefore he should benefit from them. So then we get to verses 13 and 14. Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? So what's he talking about in verse 13? He's saying that in the Old Testament, the Lord made provision. He actually commanded the people of Israel to take care of the priests. And uh, the priests were to take some of the offering and they were to take a hook and they were to pull out some of the meat and so they would be able to eat it. And there were other ways that the priests were taken care of as they performed the spiritual ministry of blessing upon the people of Israel, the people of Israel therefore blessed them. He said that in verse 13. He said, hey, we're just talking about God is so clear in how this works that those who sow spiritual blessing should be able to reap. Now, once again, we're not talking, we're not saying that the one who is involved in ministry um should is doing it for money. If you're doing it for money, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. If you are doing it because you want money, that is dangerous. Paul is not saying that he is not allowing for that motivation. He's really not even touching that right now. He'll, he'll deal with that later. But what Paul is saying is not that... Um, He's not talking about the motivation of the person that works. He's talking about how it is that the person that works is simply able to focus so much more of their time on spiritual ministry because they're being taken care of. And in verse 13, it even goes back to the priests and the Old Testament priests and how they were taken care of. And then in verse 14, he draws a direct correlation between the priests and how they were taken care of in the Old Testament to preachers of the gospel. Listen to verse 14. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. He said, you know, that this is this the Lord has commanded this. And in fact, he's going to talk as he's writing to Timothy on one occasion and say that those who lead well, especially those who focus um, on preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor. And then he quotes the passage about the ox and the grain again. <laughs> but uh, but the point is, is that those who uh, are engaged in spiritual benefit to a congregation should be taken care of by that congregation so that that person can, can engage in that ministry. So... So far, up to verse 14, Paul has just been very clear that this is the way not only the world works, this is the way that God's law works. If you do something that benefits someone else, you have a right to expect that you will have something coming back your way, but you always have the right, of course, to not accept it. Right, it, But it would be rude of someone not to say, hey, how can I bless you now? But it's always the right of the person that did the work not to accept it. So what Paul has done is just brought up this principle, and now what he's going to do in verse 15 is say why he is not accepting it. 
what he's doing really when he as he gets into verse 15 is saying, "Hey, remember when I told you that you were to give up your right to eat meat if it offends someone else?" He said, "You know what? I'm not telling you to do anything that I myself have not done. I have a right according to the way culture works and according to the way God's law has commanded us. I have a right to expect that you all would financially take care of me as I'm doing ministry, but I have given that right up. Okay, so why? So let's get into verse 15. For my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. He said, I'm I'm not accepting money from you, and I'm not writing so that you would give me any money. He said, for it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. (laughs) He said, "I, I enjoy the fact that I am doing ministry for your benefit, and you are not uh, compensating me. You are not giving me anything back. I, in this, I, I, I'm having to jump into into Paul's mind, which is, you know, unfair. But just trying to think, okay, why would he say this? I wonder if he's saying, I want to boast about this because I want you to hear me say that just as I've called you to give up rights, if it offends a weaker brother, I'm telling you I'm doing the same thing. And so I think what he's saying is, is listen to me, people, I've got credibility because I'm doing what I'm telling you to do, that there are times whenever you give up your rights and you don't cause a stink about it. Verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I'm compelled to preach and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He said, no, I'm going to preach the gospel to you regardless of whether you pay me or not, regardless of whether I accept it or not. I'm going to preach the gospel. That is a non-negotiable. Verse 17, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. So if I want to willingly preach the gospel, then I'm going to get a reward. What are the rewards? Well, He's going to mention the reward of the joy of proclaiming the the eternal gospel, but also really the reward, I believe, for Paul were the people. They were his reward. In fact, he's going to talk about that a little bit later on. If I do this willingly, then I see I'm benefiting anyway. Whether I get paid or not, I'm benefiting because I'm getting rewards. And I'm telling you that in the life of a pastor, wherever you attend church, and I know that we've got... Um, a lot of different people listening to this podcast from from various churches. I I know that there are shysters out there that are pastors, but I'm telling you, from my experience, most of those guys out there are good guys. They're flawed, but they're good guys. And one of the things that really lights their fire, that really lets them, as they put their head on their pillow at night, that, that they have a smile as they reflect back on their day, it's when they realize that as they were sowing, as they were sowing spiritual benefit, whether it was a message they preached or counsel they gave or sharing the gospel and someone gets saved, whatever it is, when they see that other people are benefiting, other people are being blessed because of their ministry, they go to bed with a smile on their face. It really is true. When Paul said, if I do it willingly, I have a reward, and I'm telling you as a fellow pastor, I realize that that reward is just seeing the fruit. 
you want to discourage a pastor, well, let your church be the kind of church where not only might there be animosity and problems where he's just constantly feeling like he's got a target on his back, but also let there be a, a church where he's just pouring his heart into this ministry. He's just engaging in all sorts of ways to try to bless people spiritually, and he's not seeing anything happen. And whenever that doesn't happen, um, your pastor ends up getting discouraged. So I want to let y'all know, I know we've got people listening from Kentucky, and we've got people listening from, uh, I believe, in uh, Tennessee, and people in uh, western Florida, and, and some other places. But um, I want you to know that if you want to bless your pastor, uh, you want him to realize and enjoy his reward in verse 17, then this coming Sunday, don't say, hey, pastor, good sermon. I'm telling you, that a dime a dozen. You know, I mean, it, for a pastor, they think you're just saying that because you feel like you have to say it. If you want to really bless him, if you want him to feel the, the, the joy of a reward, then you tell him how something he has done has blessed you or blessed one of your family members or dear friends. You be specific and tell him how something he has done has blessed your family member or friends. You'll put a smile on his face and he will not forget that. For if I do this willingly, I have reward. But if unwillingly, I'm entrusted with a commission. He said, you know, even if I don't want to do it, I've got a commandment of God to preach the gospel. And so he said, I'm going to preach the gospel. Whether you pay me or not, I'm going to preach the gospel. Verse 18, what then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. So I think what we see in verse 18 is a little bit of the reason of why Paul was not taking money from them. Maybe they didn't offer the money, but why Paul probably never even brought it up until this letter. I think the reason is because he said to preach the gospel and offer it free of charge. I'm telling you, it's not just people in 21st century America that think that when a pastor once or twice or maybe three times a year preaches on money, that they say he preaches on it all the time. I'm telling you, there is a connection between the wallet and the heart that is near and dear. And when you touch the wallet, you're messing with somebody's heart. And so people don't like for the pastor to talk about money. But it was... I don't think it's just 21st century America, and I know that we've we've had people from other countries. I haven't checked it recently, but we've had people in other countries uh, listening to this podcast. But I know here in America, it's that way. I think it was probably that way in Corinth. I think what was going on is Paul knew that if he accepted money, there were going to be people that said, you know what, that's why Paul's doing this. He's just money hungry, he, and, and he says that this gospel is free, but we got to pay him in order to get the free gospel. And so I think that's the reason why Paul was not accepting money. It's because he wanted to demonstrate that this really is free, and I'm not going to take a penny from you. So we got to pick up the pace. Look at verse 19. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. A slave to everyone. What he's saying is, I, a slave, does a slave have rights? No. 
not not in not in Roman culture. They didn't have rights. They were owned. They didn't have rights. And so Paul is saying, I have made myself a slave to everyone. He said, whatever rights I have to give up, if it enables me to effectively get the gospel to someone so that they can hear it and embrace Christ, then I will give those rights up. He said, I've made myself a slave to everyone. I will give all of my rights up if it means that more people will come to faith in Christ. I'm telling you, it's easy to look at the Apostle Paul and say, yay, Paul. It's quite another for us to do a gut check and ask the Holy Spirit to honestly assess our heart and let us know, are we so rights-driven that when we cannot have something that is rightfully ours, do we get angry and upset? Or are we like the Apostle Paul that realizes that ultimately we're here on earth not to fight for our rights. We're here on the earth to share the gospel. And if it means giving up our rights, then we will do it. Is that really our heart's desire? Verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews, to those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. Uh, verse 21, to those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I'm not without God's law, what's God's law? Um, love. But under the law of Christ, uh, which is, again, law of Christ, love, the two greatest commandments, uh, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. So what's the Apostle Paul saying? He is saying this, that if I can give up rights... In order to fit in with the Jews so that I can share the gospel with the Jews, or if I can give up some things that are rightfully mine so that I can fit in with the Gentiles and share the gospel to the Gentiles, or if I can uh, give up some rights and actually reach out to slaves and share the gospel with those who are slaves or free people or whatever else, he said, I will do whatever I need to do, but... He makes it clear in verse 21, he said, there is a line that I will not cross, and it's this, that as I give up things to get the gospel out to people, I will do whatever I need to to fit into a crowd in order to share the gospel in whatever crowd I'm in. But he said, one thing I will not do, I will not violate God's laws. I will not violate God's laws. And so when we see him saying, to the Jew, I became a Jew, to the Gentile, a Gentile, so on and so forth, he's not saying he's a chameleon. He's saying he is adjusting. He is fitting in with whatever crowd he's in so that he can get the gospel to him. If he's with the Greeks, then he's going to quote uh, Athenian poets uh, to get the Greeks to listen to him because he's actually, they, they say, wow, you know our poets. You know some of the things that are uh, culturally relevant and uh, are praised here in our society. Hey, we'll listen to this guy. We'll listen to Paul. Well, with the Jews, he didn't quote Athenian poets. Um, he uh, Instead, he was quoting the Old Testament law. And so Paul would do whatever he needed to do in order to share the gospel. And his goal was at the end of verse 22, I have become all things to all people so that I may be so that I may by every possible means save some. Paul was about the gospel, about getting people saved. Verse 23, now I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. Once again, what were the blessings for him? I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. Paul's blessings, when you listen to him through this letter and other letters, it was the people. 
It was the people. It was the knowledge that there were people that were in the kingdom. And in fact, I can only imagine the excitement that he had and the excitement that I have had when you lead someone to the Lord and they mature in their faith and then they're leading people to the Lord. My goodness, there's not a blessing greater than that. That's what he's talking about. I want that blessing. I want that good feeling. And so I'm sharing the gospel. I want people to come to faith in Christ. And I want the joy of knowing that as I share the gospel, people are coming into a relationship with the Lord. Verse 24, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. So it sounds like he changed the subject, but he did not. If a runner, he said, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? So a runner in a stadium. Okay, so if they're in the stadium, if they're in that, you know, Greek stadium, well, they're not in there if they're, you know, overweight and, you know, they haven't been running. or They're not going to put them in the stadium. The ones that are in the stadium, they're doing well. They're thin. They're fast. You know, they, they've got great cardio. They, they are ready for this, and they're fun to watch because they're good at what they do. And so what do those runners do? Run in such a way that you may win the prize. Well, how do you do that? One, self-discipline. Self-discipline, personal discipline. One of the things that a runner will do is say, you know what, I really have, a, I do, I've, I, maybe I've got a right to have desserts after a meals because after all, everybody else gets to have desserts. But the runner will say, but no, I've got a higher goal, so I will forego that right and I will not eat desserts right? So what the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you Corinthians, and he's talking to us as God's Holy Spirit was writing through him, that I want you to realize that you are not here to enjoy every single one of the things you have a right to do in this life, that it's not about you enjoying all of your rights. It's about you being self-disciplined and about you giving up some rights every now and then if that enables you to win people to Christ. If that enables you to make progress in your own pursuit of Christ-likeness and holiness. He said, I want you to be serious. I want you to engage in self-discipline. And I want you to give yourself to running your race and running it well. Verse 25, now everyone who competes exercises, here it is, self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Paul said, I want you not to live your life for your rights. I don't want you fighting for your rights. I don't want you getting upset when someone else violates one of your rights. I want you to focus on the main thing, and the main thing is running the race that God has given to you. And among other things, that means that you are sharing the gospel with people. And he said that what that's going to take is that's going to take you exercising self-discipline. And so you're not going to be spending as much time in front of the television being entertaining yourself to death. But you're going to be spending time in prayer and in the Word to develop a holy seriousness in your heart that you cannot have. You cannot have if you are entertaining yourself to death. 
You're going to exercise discipline in other areas of your life. You're going to do all sorts of things, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is leading you to do and that God's Word has made clear for you to do. You're going to do that because you want to run your race well, because at the finish line, we're going to stand before the judge and he's going to assess how we did in our race. And we want to hear him say, well done, because what we're striving for, as Paul said in verse 25, is not a perishable crown, but an imperishable crown. We want that crown, that finisher's crown that goes around our head that Jesus will give to us one day, but it only happens if we live our life for him. Verse 26, so I do not run like one who runs runs aimlessly or box like someone beating the air. Paul said, I'm not living my life unintentionally. I'm not running around like a chicken with my head cut off. You know, I'm not somebody that's just kind of doing a lot of busy stuff with no intentionality. He said, no, I'm not running like one who runs aimlessly. I know exactly where I'm going. And I'm on a course, and I'm self-disciplined, and I'm calling you to do the same thing. Verse 27, instead... You know, I'm not aimless. He said, instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, that word disqualified is adakimazo. And in some places in Scripture, it means unsaved. It means unsaved, but if we take it to mean that, that's not the only meaning that it has in Scripture. That's one of the meanings. If we take it to mean that, then Paul is saying that, man, I got to stay serious about my walk with the Lord because if not, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my salvation. Well, he's obviously not saying that. The rest of Scripture makes that clear that that is not a biblical view. And so what he is saying is he wanted to finish well. He doesn't want to be reprimanded. He doesn't want to be discredited. He doesn't want the judge to say, okay, you know, you crossed the finish line, but that's all you did. You know, you really didn't run a good race. Uh, In fact, you kind of messed up, and I should have put you on the sidelines, He doesn't want the Lord saying that. He wants the judge, the righteous judge, to stand up and applaud and say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul wants to finish well, and he knew that to finish well, he could not live his life fighting for his rights, but he had to sometimes give up rights in order for him to achieve his goal. And there were other times when others were taking away his rights, but he was okay with that because that wasn't his goal. He's not here. He wasn't here on earth to fight for all of his rights. He was here on earth to follow the Lord Jesus and to obey him. And that's what God's Holy Spirit through Paul's writing is calling us to. We need to be like the Apostle Paul and acknowledge where it is that maybe our rights, you know, we've been fighting for it and we need to be like the Apostle Paul and sometimes give some things up because our primary objective is living for the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoying being with him one day in heaven and taking as many people with us as we can. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we thank you um, that you have called us to salvation. You have invited us 
into a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that we are not content just to know that we've had a time in our past where we asked you to forgive us and save us. But Lord, I pray that now, today, that we're striving to enjoy you, that we want to enjoy you and we desire to obey you, that we desire to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and Lord, also that we're not holding it to ourselves, but we're looking for individuals that we can tell about you and how it is that you forgave us and how it is that you can forgive them too. Uh, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be so worldly that we would get stuck in being entertained and all of the things, all of the things that the world is trying to do and Satan is trying to do to pull us away from you and to throw water on any flame that could grow in our heart for you. Lord, I pray that we would lay aside those weights that easily beset us and focus on you. Focus on enjoying you, focus on obeying you, including telling other people about you. Lord, we do pray this in your name. Amen. I hope today's episode has helped you to understand and enjoy God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you next time.